We are on, you should have your two sheets, uh, 15 and 16 is back and uh, front and back, and then 17. Uh, we slowly progressed uh, with it. Uh, last time we had, we're at dealing with the history of the uh, of the LCMS from 1981 on. Uh, we have taken a look at the okay. Um, several times back, we took a look at the changes in the leadership that uh, the synodical president or the bureaucracy within the LCMS. And it's seen that it does change from time to time, flipping from one side to the other. Uh, does that result in a great change in the organization itself, or is the organization changing? Well, I, I, it doesn't appear to be, and I think that's going to be one of the uh, things that I'm going to kind of show you as well um, today as we take a look at uh, the Becker case. But um, with Ralph Bowman, uh, who... You might say, oh, that ought to be a return to, uh, since he was one of the five that remained and did not go with Seminex. Um, in fact, no, he was one of the moderates or liberals uh, that led into contemporary worship, uh, things of, of that sort, allowing, we've talked about the renewal in Missouri, the Charismatic Association, uh, as well as the licensed lay deacons, the change in the mission, as well as the change on the appeals process, and then the uh, attack against Robert Price, the uh, president at Fort Wayne. With A.L. Berry's uh, election in 1992, uh, he served for about nine years. Uh, it was a victory for the conservatives, and there were some things that were done, uh, and I told you he did a lot of teaching because his hands were tied as regards, and I talked about the structure of the district presidents who serve on the council of presidents and how they pretty well call the shots. And so there was a lot that he could not do. Um, he tried to do through teaching, and I think the, the, the teaching that he did was very good. <coughs> but I've also learned, I would say, especially as a circuit counselor in Missouri, as I dealt with the uh, 13 congregations that were in our Greater Egypt Circuit, that where the pastor taught the truth but didn't teach against falsehood, it allowed the next pastor to come in and completely flip the congregation. Um, so if you're not also speaking against false teaching, against false teachers, if you're not warning against the wolves, uh, it, it makes it so much easier. We did take a look last time at, we did a kind of an overview of our situation uh, in which we went into a state of confession and then finally left Missouri. We had a, a six points. Uh, we saw that this was not a, a quick thing that we did. Um, in fact, you know, with uh, Gerald Kieschnick's 
uh, election, uh, and so a triumph for the liberals. It wasn't long after 2001 uh, that Yankee Stadium, synchronism, unionism, and all of the stuff came with it. Uh, from that point on, 2001, we began to speak out against it. By 2004, we had written uh, resolutions. We had talked to the district, to the Senate. Uh, it ignored them. After that, we went into a state of confession and continued to teach for three more years uh, in order to, by 2007, hoping to uh, turn things around after it had approved what what Gerald Kishnick did in 2004 and 2007, it did not correct any of those six points at all, uh, to which after that we uh, left. And so we kind of went through that uh, 2007 as, as that went through. So we went through that as well. I also showed you just a little bit as we talked about, in this particular article talked about the change organizations, the change-promoting organizations within the LCMS, and about how uh, it didn't really matter who was at the top, you simply then went underground. Well, then you no longer needed to go underground. You could actually uh, promote your cause uh, from within your group. And so we saw from the liberal side, not just trying to elect people, but trying to actually change by teaching. And so we saw the PLI, the Pastoral Leadership Institute. We saw Lutherans Alive. Um, we saw how uh, Jesus First, uh, liberalization within it. We saw that there was a pan-Lutheran, Lutherans, not only liberals within the Missouri Senate, but those in ELCA then went together and were trying to globally, or at least in North America, uh, this pan-Lutheran liberal association. I mentioned that Dr. Berry had died suddenly and then uh, Gerald Kieschnick had, had come in. So that gives us a little bit of a review of where we've gone. Uh, this time I'd, I'd, I'd like to give you an example, Matthew Becker, uh, as the inability to deal with falsehood and therefore when, when someone says, well, you know, can't they just take care of this? Yeah, let's let me show. I would also like to show that that uh, there are those within the Missouri Senate that are, and I'm going to put quotes, that are good men, good pastors, good congregations within the Missouri Senate. Um, and I'll tell you why. I, I can't give an unconditional because I, I think that fleeing from falsehood is is scriptural mandate. Um, and needs to happen at some point. But I do want to show you the situation they're in and where they are and what you know, a little bit about that. So that's kind of our uh, uh, direction today. So, Karn? Uh, I was going to ask you, the, um, <coughs> of those groups that are liberal that Is were put forward, how many of them are still active today? I know that... PLI. Mine's on, that's on. I think everything's on. I Go know, ahead. I know they still have PLI workshops because my brother just went to one down in Florida. So I know that one is still going on, but Jesus First Day Star, is that still all? 
around, or I, I just don't, I don't hear about it anymore, and I'm not in the loop. Um, yes, they are still uh, around. Uh, the Jesus First is now Congregations Matter, so. primarily. Daystar <laughs> is still going on, but not right. to the degree that it was before. Um, and so there is this. Um, it, it, it's, it's the same thing going on. It just takes different forms, and it just comes out in different ways. Um, and, and I guess to, uh, yeah. yeah. All right. Matthew Becker. I started including him right around here. Matthew Becker, 1994 to 2004. Matthew Becker gets a Master's Divinity. That is the advanced degree that pastors get. He got this at Concordia St. Louis at our uh, seminary. He also attended uh, in 1986, prior to that, Eden Seminary. Um, I'm going to assume that he then joined in. Eden Seminary is the United Churches of Christ Seminary. It also happens to be the seminary that welcomed Seminex, gave them a home whenever they wanted somewhere to go. Uh, the UCC, I, I'm quite familiar with it. Um, my grandmother on my father's side was a member of that. My father grew up in it. Um, it was considered the union church between the Reformed and the Lutherans. Um, and over time, I, I can tell you, it went, and, and if you want to see the trajectory down, <laughs> um, from being kind of almost semi-Lutheran, to, uh, you know, at, at this point, denying the Trinity and still allowed to be a, a, a pastor in the church. Um, I mean, it's... Anyway, um, he also, in 19... up through 1993, went to Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago. That is the ELCA seminary, and also the place that all of the Seminex uh, professors went uh, when they didn't have anywhere else to go. Um... He's got several degrees, um, doctorate, things of that sort. Uh, he was a professor at Concordia University in Portland. This is one of the saltwater districts. This is where the district president could provide and protect, and crazy things went on out there. He began speaking out against, and why I want to use this one is, you know, he hits the trifecta of uh, false teaching. Uh, speaks out concerning evolution, denies that there's a six-day creation and evolution is okay. He promotes women's ordination, and he is in support of homosexuality. So you kind of got all three kind of going on. Um, it already starts back in 1994, and he begins speaking out against, or, or, you know, in favor of these things. He's not the only one. Again, there were people, I talked about Mary Todd, who spoke out against the ordination of women. I could pull out others with creation and, and things of that sort. But uh, he's not the only one that uh, is getting rather bold in speaking out about these things. Why? Because they know... You know, there there is no discipline uh, concerning it. Uh, Gerald Kieschnick is uh, 
elected. I went through that. Let's go on down. By 2003, May 29th, uh, there have been several cases in which uh, uh, Matthew Becker has been called to account for his false teaching. There have been, and I, I, you wouldn't call them courts, it's dispute resolution panels, there has been organizations and whatever, and at each time he has been exonerated. Um, at one point in documents I have it says two, and another he mentions that there have been four different ones. Two are probably the most, you know, the highest ones, but four uh, uh, total in which they have heard him concerning evolution, they've heard him concerning ordination of women, they've heard him concerning homosexuality, and said, no, 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 he's fine, and, and have left it. And finally, it was in 2003, you know, this regarding evolution, they said, nope, the case is closed, we heard it, he's fine. It is not until, and, and this goes on since, and you see how long it's gone on, until finally in about 2010, and why is it being brought up again? Because now we've got a new synodical president uh, in 2010, and the Matthew Becker pro, uh, produces a paper called The Scandal of the LCMS Mind. It is printed in the Daystar Journal. Um, and this, very public, you know, is, is finally to be uh, addressed, to be dealt with. There are some side swipes. You might remember 2000, I don't know where it is, 7 or 4, where, you know, the convention says we support creation in one of their resolutions. That's directed at Matthew Becker. It doesn't say that, but that's, that's exactly what it is. Um, what happens? Well, it ramps up. In 2013, he produces another article, An Argument for Women Pastors and Theologians. By 2015, he is now at Valparaiso in Indiana. He is a professor there. Uh, that is a not an LCMS college, but it is a quasi uh, there's a whole history that goes with that. It used to be LCMS, and then it you know, went over. Uh, he dissented against women. He was exonerated by his district uh, district group, a dispute resolution panel in the Northwestern District. Finally, in 2015, uh, his... Uh, District President Linneman agreed to suspend him after another district president, Terry Fork uh, of Montana, Montana, spent 27 months trying to, as he says, bring him to repentance. Um, in other words, had been trying to you know, deal with these things. In 2015, he does not appeal, and he is finally removed from the LCMS. He joins the ECLA in 2018. So, from the start, you know, uh, um, things ought to move slowly in the church. We ought to be careful. We ought to call people to repentance. We ought to try. Uh, but, seeing that this 
you know, starts in 1994, and it is 2015 that he is not removed, but actually leaves. Um, what's, what's going on? To give you just a little bit of the color commentary that goes with this, um, remember what I was thinking was most, uh, this is the Daystar Journal uh, this is an article uh, called uh, uh, the headline of this one was called A Lutheran Pope um, what's going on uh, you can see the way that they characterize this this is not a uh, Matthew Becker is not a person who says, oh, I'm wondering about these things. Maybe we ought to talk about it, you know, and, and you know, but I don't really know. And then whatever, you know, no, this is someone who, you know, has uh, an agenda. How does those that like him, the moderate liberal side, what do they say about this? Um, they say that. Matthew Becker was twice found not to be guilty of advocating false doctrine when he made his dissent public. Uh, whatever revisions I suggested will no doubt uh, be... Uh, anyway, uh, um, they continue to say, you know what, Luther, in his address to the nobility of the German nation, uh, would be extremely upset. Why? Well, when President Harrison, in 2010, is dealing with this, what... What he finds is that he can't do anything about it. And so as it becomes public and as these things come forward, he finally comes forward and says, I can't do anything about this. Um, and he says, what I want is the next convention to change the bylaws so that we can address this and take care of this. And... Those on this side go, oh, Harrison wants to be a pope. He wants to take care of this and the churches, and he is trying to, you know, to do these things. Um, that's the particular slant that is being uh, made. That's from the liberal side. This is the religious news service uh, in which they say, outspoken theologian, ousted from the Lutheran Church, Missouri. Becker has raised questions about the not dominational stand against the ordination of women who loves teaching creation. There's a little reading of the story of creation in the book of Genesis. And so, as it uh, goes forward, it has uh, uh, it's pitting Matthew Harrison against Matthew Becker uh, and, and he's just raising questions and there needs to be talk, but people are disappointed there are some and it kind of goes back and forth saying there are some who are disappointed that we're not talking about this there are others that are trying to uh, put this down um, when you get to Harrison Harrison evidently put out a Facebook post <laughs> concerning uh, Becker when he was exonerated again and Harrison said, I'm saying that if my Senate does not change its inability to call such a person to repentance and remove such a teacher, then there is no repentance. Then we are liars, and our confession is meaningless, uh, which he wrote in January. Um, 
in our six points, what did we say? There's no discipline. And they have changed the bylaws so that you can't do it. In 2010, in dealing with this, you say, yeah, that's exactly the case. I mean, we, we didn't make that stuff up. Um, this is exactly what was uh, going on. However, and I find it interesting, every time you have something, the more moderate, when we say moderate, not liberal, of the Lutheran Church movement that have clashed with conservatives before it happened in 1974. So we always go back to Seminex and, you know, that's what happened and it left a schism in the church and now it's, it's be careful, it's happening again. Watch out uh, uh, what's going on. Uh, Harrison's election in 2010 was a conservative ideological shift for the denomination. The nomination was moving this way, and now, the, you know, I, I'm going to tell you it's a change of leadership. That's all it is. Um, that's what happened. Now, here's how it's built. Becker grew up in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, in Oregon. He had doubts about remaining in the church, but said he hoped that as a member he could help reform the Senate. By the late 90s, he was attack, attracting attention by publicly speaking about the ordination of women. Quote, there's nothing in scripture that clearly prevents women from serving, Pecker said. You don't need a certain body part to share the love of God. Ah, it doesn't say that. <laughs> in a blog post, they're going to further comparing the exclusion of women leaders from the church to the institution of slavery and the subordination of people of color uh, to whites. Becker has endured long years of investigation as a result. Then in April, the Reverend Terry Parker filed a charge against him for failing to maintain the Genesis represents a historical account soon after he was asked to resign. I feel like many people who are my opponents are making an idol out of the LCMS. It's almost as if the church cannot make mistakes. I've always taken the view that nothing should be off the table. Um... And then it goes on about fearing race. Um, this is a very public, this is a very intentional, this is, yes, I know it's not uh, the view of Missouri, but I'm going to try to change you. Um, that, that's, that's exactly what is going on. Uh, are there these issues? Um, this is in one of his blog posts where he calls that there's no room in the LCMS uh, brotherhood, he goes through and lines out the four things that he disagrees on and the reasons why he's being removed. We all know. Um, but it's, it's, it's not... It, it, yeah. When someone says, like Matthew Harrison, well, we just need to change the bylaws. Well, but, but look what's... This has gone on for 20 years. How many... Well, yeah. yeah. Well, this case, you know, and you have to say, but so if we have two to four groups that approved him, changing the bylaws doesn't change the people. If he's teaching at LCMS colleges and they're not doing anything, it doesn't change. And he's teaching others to do it, and he's being, you know. There is, there is much more going on than this. This is not just, oh my goodness, we got a bad bylaw. You know, everything's fine in the Senate. We've just got a bad bylaw. That's just not the case. Um, now, to put a, uh, um, 
when I when I showed you the religious news service, there still are every time something comes up like that, you have to compare it to Seminex. Okay, how does the le- the the layman, the congregation, and everyone in Missouri, how do they look upon this? They don't look upon this and say, oh my goodness, we've got false teaching, and we definitely need to take care of this. Now, by and large, they don't know what's going on and, and, and all, but the real issue, and, and when they say that uh, uh, there was an ideological shift and Matthew Harrison came to be the synodical president in 2010. There was not an ideological shift. Why was Matthew Harrison elected? Because there was controversy. Kieschnick came in and there is fighting there is publicly things being discussed and LCMS is being brought into, that's what we can't have. And so, you removed him, Kieschnick, because he's creating controversy. What we like is everybody getting along. We can't have Seminex ever again. We can't have controversy. That was the problem. We've got to have, and so, I went to a, you were there, I'm pretty sure, went to a a district pastoral conference. Um, Prior to his election, uh, he was the one who went around and did Lutheran World Relief, so he went around giving out money and to help people for food and clothing and things like that. Um, His picture was always on the, in the Lutheran witness with a little black boy out in Africa, you know, and here he is, you know, doing things Um, he got elected not because he was going to reform the Missouri Senate and make it conservative he was not going to he was going to return things to safe right so we went to a pastoral conference about a year and a half before they asked him about what about what Kieschnick did and and he he goes "I'm, I'm not even going to discuss it I won't even talk about it. What about contemporary worship? He assured everybody that when he was elected, he would never tell a congregation how to worship. Um, That is. Now, when he talked to the conservatives, he told the conservatives, I have a 10-year plan. The conservatives were saying, we've got to fix this. And he says, oh, yes, but it's, it's... like a large boat. It takes a long time to turn a large boat. Oh, I've heard that one before. So you've got to go slow, and you can't. we can't go in there and just pick it, you know. We've got a 10-year plan. We can't so just do the right thing. It's all going to be slow. He has now been there. We're now in the year 23. We've got 13 years, and I can tell you that the boat hasn't changed course. And I, I, I don't know that the rudder has even moved, you know. I don't even know if it's got a rudder. I don't even know if there's whatever, but I'm pretty sure that we are without controversy. 
Is there an election coming up too? There is an election coming up again. So what happens is, is that, talk about the change-producing groups, you have uh, um, the liberals wants congregation matter now put out and go, oh, there's, you know, if something comes up, they're going to turn it into a controversy and people are upset and whatever. That's the way you're going to get. And then this one comes along and says, you know, they said that Missouri Senate is dysfunctional. And uh, they go through this and they say, well, you know, there's, there's sin in everybody and there are no perfect churches on earth. But we're not dysfunctional. We are just, you know, we're, they say we're not, but Matthew Harrison is doing a good job. And, and the point is to try to keep that, you know, going. Um, so, uh, that is kind of the, uh, the Matthew Becker case, um, an, an illustration of what's happening, what's not happening. I got two other things I want to look at. Any questions about that? Comments? I talked about the liberal groups politically and the conservative groups politically, a firm balance and things of that sort. So then I talked about the liberal groups that were educating those who were, uh, they want them to move forward in contemporary words. Well, this PLI is really the big group. Now, the districts also have their own programs, and they do those kind of things as well. Um, what about uh, what about the conservatives? The conservatives in 2008 began an organization called Doxology. Um Quote, to provide pastors with a unique study and a renewal experience rooted in the classic art of spiritual care and informed by the incense of con- insights, insights of contemporary Christian psychology. <laughs> so, and, and actually, if I put, uh, I, I did this at one pastoral thing. If you put the PLI mission statement alongside this one, you mostly can't tell the difference what's going on. I, I know one's liberal and one's conservative. Um, of those guys who attend this, yes, they do the liturgy. Yes, they're not syncretistic and unionistic. But what had happened, in my opinion, is that over the time of Kieschnick and the things going on, uh, the conservatives during Barry got stronger and they got more vocal. Now, when I was at the seminary, then I graduated in 1991, you would go to a, uh, not even classes, but you, know, you would go to a, a conference and someone would speak. And nobody outwardly said that there were liberals and conservatives. No one actually said those kind of differences. You just kind of knew which guys were saying, and and they would say things about it, but they never named names, they never said things. So there was this going on both at the same time. So if you were a seminarian at my seminary during this time, it all depended on what your alignment was. You took these professors if you were liberal. You took these if you were conservative. You didn't say certain things around other people. And it kind of all went through. And so you could 
come out ready to do contemporary worship, or you could come out ready to be liturgical. And that's the way it was done. Which that was 1991. Huh? Which did you choose? <laughs> I came out much more conservative than other guys, but I will tell you that I was not where I am now at that point. I lean this way a lot. But, not, but no, it's it, true. It, it, it takes a while to get there. Um, I understand that. I'm sorry, but I just wanted to bring up for those people who may not have been here a long time that yep. I understand yep. uh, that you were tempted by uh, contemporary music and that sort of thing. And uh, uh, I would like to know a little bit more about your personal evolution, if you don't mind. At another time. Okay. I have no trouble. I have no trouble letting that out. All right. But I will, I will give you, I've already given you a little bit. But Yes. All right, so let me just give you another example. 1994, 1995, I was invited to go to the other seminary, the one that Pastor Erin went to, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. I had never been there. Um, truthfully, I had no idea. I had no I, when When I decided to go to seminary, you know, well, we got two seminaries. There's one in St. Louis. That's the close one. That's where you go. I, I knew nothing of all this. I, my wife grew up in uh, with having relatives and uncles. Or I, I knew not. I didn't even know what it, how you became a pastor. So I went. So in 1994, I went to there. I went to a conference. Now at this particular conference, there was a. I don't even remember who the speaker was. It may have been David Skier. May have been whatever. Someone got up. And they were going. They were giving their presentation, and they made a overt swipe at contemporary worship and something that was going on. And I kid you not, I went like this. <laughs> Can you do that? Did Did you hear it? You know, you're not allowed to. And I had. I mean, I didn't know I was dysfunctional. But but I knew that that was not allowed in the, you know, about this. And everyone else is laughing, and I'm going, you know, he's going to get in trouble. (laughs) I mean, that's what I'm thinking in my mind. And and I began to realize, I went, well, you know, this seminar is a little different from the one that I went to. Um, and, 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 And I was... I was kind of impressed. I went back there two or three times every January. They would have a conference and, 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 and would go. Um, and there were things like uh, like that, that that happened. However, and I can't remember the exact years. I, I was going to research and I didn't get to it back. Um, I'm going to say it was 2004, 2005, where they didn't place the candidates. Is that when that was? Do you remember? There was a group of... Yeah, somewhere along in there. guys graduated, and because of the conservative bent of the seminarians that were coming out, the district presidents who would would offer calls to the seminary for candidates to be placed, for young seminarians to be placed, refused to place them. And so they had a class of, a, I don't know what it was, 100, and only 40 got placed, or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was. And every and, and they, they said, oh, well, we just don't have congregations. Oh, Everybody knew exactly what the situation was, that this was retaliation and this was the way you know, it was going. And it, there was a couple other things that happened, but I'm going to tell you, after that point, the Fort Wayne Seminary fell in line, and they 
now started to behave like they were supposed to in this organization. And before this, they were telling guys, you know, you're going to take over the Senate and you're going to stand up and do these things. And after that, you know, all of the professors went, yeah, we're not talking. And they all kind of went back together. And that's uh, um, um, what, what happened. Doxology was the self-help support group, the psychological safe place for conservatives. And so these conservatives that went out that are upset and that are mad, and you could ask, ask my wife how it was when I would go to conferences and I would come back screaming mad about the contemporary version and things that were going on in the district and the Senate, you know, uh, um, you know it, it wasn't good. You could go here, and they were like-minded guys. But my, the, my real fault with this is not some of that teaching. My real fault is we need the problem and the psychology that they used for the conservatives. The problem was is that people were getting upset. They were Pastors were going into depression. Pastors were getting thrown out of congregations. We need to calm down. Um, and we need to just, you know, um, have a safe place and just work in your congregation. Don't worry about what's outside. Definitely leaving the Senate, that would be like a crazy, radical thing to do. We can, you know, the way the church has always done it is by saying sweet words. Sweet words, not, don't go against, don't speak out against. Uh, uh, honey will attract more than vinegar. And they were able to calm all the confessional guys down and get them to stay in the Senate in their safe place. And I, I, I watched good guys get neutered with doxology. And it, and it makes me really mad. Did anybody bring up Luther and his sweet words? He probably needed to go to doxology. This is another one of those groups that... The, the 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 operating terminology here is insights of contemporary Christian psychology. Morning, morning. Whenever you see somebody talking about psychology in the church, you know they're heretics. <laughs> that it's just straight out they are heretics because what that should say is contemporary Christian theology which is biblical theology. And with, with, in this whole discussion, we have not heard anybody talking about what does the scripture say. Right. No one cares about that anymore. Come on now. No, yeah, that's right. Nobody cares. Because we have real problems. We know better, also. The scriptures don't deal with real problems today. That's what they're saying. However... How can, how can you tell a pastor if you just sit back and be quiet? How can you tell him, well, that's the thing to do because then you're in a safe place. Because when should a pastor ever be in a safe place? Seems like a really strange thing to tell people who you believe would willingly be martyrs for the faith. Well, you can't talk about that. Nope, that's bad words. <coughs> that's bad words, actually. But you, you can't allow collateral damage. 
Let me run through. I got one more thing. I talked to you and I explained that after what happened in 2001, after the convention, LCMS convention, uh, approved of all that Kishnik and them did, in October following that, that was like July, uh, the conservatives got together at a free conference up in Chicago. There was over 500 of us in attendance. Pastor Rin and I were there. Leading up to this, everyone was upset. And everyone that was conservative wanted to do something about this. Um, but most of the guys said, I can't do this alone. I need, we need to do it together. We can't have one guy leaving and one guy leaving. We've got to band together in order to do this. And so you had different conservatives groups, but we now had a common enemy, which was Kishnik. Let's try to work together, and we will all together call Senna to repentance. Or if that does not work, we will all leave her. That was what was going up into the Chicago conference. Now, if you might remember, as I told you, by the time we got to this, the steering committee of which I was a part of had already determined ahead of time that that particular trajectory was not going to happen. They were going to make use of guys that were talking that way, but what they were going to do is they were going to direct everything to politics. There was going to be no leaving the Missouri Senate. The way that we were going to deal with this was you're going to stay in Missouri and you're going to take Senate back over. And so this was the point at which, you know, I said I was thrown under the bus and said, yeah, there'll be no more of that. Uh, they said they were going to have a call to repentance document in a year. In that year, it never happened. Um, why? Because that was the change. The change was you're going to stay, you're going to do this. That was 2005. It didn't quite work out until 2010 that they retook the Senate in the sense that Matthew Harrison became the Synodical President. But prior to this, as this was going on, one of the groups, and this is my transition to the... Uh, there are many good, good guys, good congregations within the Missouri Senate. One of them is a group called the ACELC. That's just too many. <laughs> too many letters. And you're only supposed to have three or four if you're Lutheran. Um, but Association of Confessional Evangelical Lutheran Congregation. Um, in Latin, the word of the Lord remains to eternity. This was a conservative group of congregations, conservative ones, within the Missouri Senate who looked at all of this and especially what was going on and saw that the Chicago group wasn't going to do anything and said, no, no, we actually want to address some of these things. Over time, they have put together uh, a list of things that they see are wrong within the Missouri Senate, and as they themselves say, either they're approved by the Senate, they're tolerated in the Senate, you know, or they're being done, practiced in the Senate, and they... It's a lot like our six points. I was just going to say, yeah. Longer. Surprise! 
it's pretty well at six points. Add a couple of things or a couple of subheadings and whatever. And they put together paper. You can click on these. You can see kind of a resolution. It looks a lot like our resolutions. It's the same kind of point in which they said, we've got problems. And we want these addressed. They intentionally uh, set it up in a way in which we are not talking politics. We want to deal with false doctrine. That's our concern. And that's what they have, since that point, have had yearly conventions, yearly things to do with this. We've got another one coming up, 2023. Um, uh, and listen to what, and, and they're, they're going to speak honestly about Missouri. It's not uncommon in public discourse to hear the sentiment that doctrine is divisive and that to care about right doctrine is not to care about people. You know, and so they're going through. They're, they're not talking about the world. They're talking about what's kind of going on. Going on. There is much treasure here to mine for the sake of the church. So it is that Paul's words are the forthcoming of our upcoming ACELC conference, the aim of our charge. The purpose of the ACELC is to give a united voice against heirs that are officially adopted in convention, tolerated, and or promoted in the LCMS. So, they're not saying, oh, yeah, that doesn't happen. Yeah, we're churches. They don't, no, 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 there's problems, and we need to deal with those. Um, yeah. the, the pastors that are a part of this, um, again, if we're talking good guys, um, I'm impressed with this. Now, granted, I, I say good simply because I think that at some point, if you've been talking about this since 2004, that at some point you have to follow what scripture says about uh, leaving this is uh, my little uh, chart when we were uh, dealing with six points members don't know the present crisis so let's tell them once they know that it's false doctrine and practice well, then, they need to be told that Scripture requires a separation. Either you're going to stay and fight, and then, if it's changed, great. If it's not, you have to leave. Um, there are those who say there's problems. They know that Scripture requires a separation, and they refuse to follow it because of the fear of consequences. I, I'm, I'm sorry, that's just what I see. I, I don't see any other way. You know, I'm going to lose my congregation. I'm going to lose my health care. I'm going to lose my family being with me. I'm going to lose, you know, whatever you're going to lose, you're going to lose a large seminary. You're going to lose a place to place your seminary. And so when they pray, you're going to whatever. Um, that's, that's the problem. And so I can't unconditionally say this is, 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 is good. But um, I am uh, impressed with what they have done. That being said, let's go back to our outline. They helped the cause, and they helped to get Matthew Harrison elected. After Matthew Harrison was elected, who promised a 10-year program to fix things, what did Matthew Harrison and the new leaders 
the ones that were at the Chicago Conference that are now in positions of authority and have been elected, what did they say to the ACELC? Yes, let's take your points and let's deal with them. No, they said to the ACELC, you know what, thank you very much, you've been very good, but now that we've taken control of Senate, you can go away. We don't need you anymore. An election fixed it all. And, and they went, well, what, what, you know, um, are you going to come to our conference? And, and No, they completely ignored them. Still what? do. Huh? Still do. And still do ignore them. Though they're around, the conservatives don't recognize that they're there because they are actually saying out loud, we've got, you know. Um, and so, despite that, this group is still there. But, again, that's the way they're treating those who actually want to deal with the issues. And that's my point, that it's not able to be dealt with. Um, I, I see that it is irreparable. When someone says to me, I'm going to stay and fight, you ask the question and say, all right, tell me what you're doing. You know, I'm staying in my own congregation and teaching my people. All right, you're not fighting. You're staying. That's all you're doing. I find it odd, and I've met all of those dudes and heard them speak various times at conferences that people who are otherwise fairly knowledgeable about right practice and doctrine of following scripture can be so confused about whether it's necessary to preserve a human group that is formed. Why do they think that that is so important? Why, when they can say scripture is important, we have to follow it, this is right doctrine, are they like, but if we lose the synod, you know, that's the end of the church. Like, they're so confused about what the visible and invisible church are. That's a huge thing, and they just don't see it. They're so blind and in denial, frankly. When we left in 2007, and this will be my last point, when we left in 2007, we were told, you shouldn't leave, you need to stay and fight, you're abandoning the cause, that kind of thing. You know, we've got problems, but, you know, we're, we're, we're taking, a, they're, they're dying off, we are going to teach the next generation, you know, when we retake the Senate, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, get it, you know, that's what we were told. Well, they've retaken the Senate, they've taught for this long, they've had the tenure program, and now they're in the three years after it, you know, nothing has changed, the others are still teaching. But what I find most distressing and it's, and, and I, I, I want to say I told you so, but um, what I find most distressing is if I talk to the conservative pastors or the layman, you know, now, now, since, you know, it's, it's, it's been 20 years, so when I talk to them now, they no longer tell me there are problems within. Only this ACELC still says that. The rest of them don't say that anymore. They don't say that. Um, they don't admit that that is the, you know, at this point they say, well, there's no pure church. Now, before they were striving for a pure church. You know, when errors exist, you try to remove them. At this point they go, well, yeah, there's errors, but there's, that's just the way it is. There is no fight. That's what, that's what is going on. 
Um, and, and, and when you talk to laymen, they no longer say contemporary worship is bad. They go, well, I wouldn't do it. It's, it's, how, do they, how do those pastors counsel people with that attitude? They don't. Counsel people about what? <laughs> Just stay put. Everything's good here. You know, and, and what results is crazy things like there are some that get a little bit worked up. And so what they will tell them is, well, you just commune in my congregation, my LCMS congregation, but the congregation next door that does contemporary worship don't commune there. And go, so you're a member of a fellowship in which you're not in fellowship. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. Um, you know, and so, uh, yeah. anyway, what m- my... My principle in this matter is, when you find out the truth, if you don't act on it, if you don't follow it, you lose the truth. That's what happens. So there were those who, you know, and I'll give you a a perfect example. There was a pastor who was in the Missouri Senate when we were leaving. His congregation asked him, what about Benson's congregation? They're leaving Missouri. Are they still church? They're still asking that question? And he said to them, the real question we ought to be asking ourselves is if we don't leave Missouri, are we still church? Now, that was from a guy within. He doesn't speak that way anymore. You lose it if you don't act upon it. Um, And that is what has happened. The whole thing has changed. At this point, psychology has helped out. You know, uh, um, all, all of this. You want to, you know. So that's 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 where we are. That kind of brings us, at least to you know. Uh, I guess I, I don't know how far I got down. I got to about oh, 2022. You know, uh, though they did take care of regularizing lay deacons. The Pacific Southwest District kind of still does their own thing, and there's a lot of that that just goes on. Um, all right. That's the history of Lutherans in North America. Uh, now that you know that history, it's going to be much easier for me to, as we take a look at a new supplement to a hymnal and a new hymnal, and we take a look at worship practices and what has gone on, we're going to back up and kind of go, well, how did we get to the place where we are with that? Um, and now uh, um, we'll be able to kind of do that. So we're heading there. Comments, questions? Good work. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we ask that you would keep us in your word. Uh, that you would use your Holy Spirit to show us our weaknesses and our sins, uh, because error always is needing to be corrected. But give us that comfort of knowing that our salvation is a completed fact, and it is in the atonement of our Savior, uh, who suffered and died and took away our sins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.